Beyond the bows and mistletoe, the tree with presents right below. There's more to this than you had ever thought. Have we lost the reason that we celebrate each year? What is Christmas? If there never was a Savior wrapped in a manger, without Christ. Remember all the story goes, God's gift was wrapped in swaddling clothes, beneath the star one great and holy night. If there never was a Savior wrapped in a manger, if the angels never sing glory to the newborn King, what is Christmas without Christ? There'd be no Gloria in Excelsis Terrific. Praise the Lord for the First Peter chapter 1. Anybody need notes out there? Y'all fixed up? Melina needs notes. Tasha needs some notes. Do we have any notes around? Rochelle needs some notes. Help them out here. Anybody else? Just wave at them. We'll get you fixed up. A couple of young people over here need notes. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're finishing out the chapter tonight. This is our eighth session in the series. If this pattern holds true, 
We will not be finishing 1 Peter for a while. I got to looking at the calendar, and it may be about this time next year. So uh, we, I don't know, I, I kind of like the pace we're going. We're covering three or four verses a time, and it seems to be just about right because it's so deep, this material, and we're not even going as deep as we could. We're just really trying to get the meaning of what the Lord is saying to us through Peter in the scriptures here. So tonight we're going to cover verses 22, 23, 24, and 25, and let's read those. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Verse 22, unfeigned love is our text tonight. Yeah, the title of our lesson, let's pray. Father, would you bless now? In this session, we thank you for the reminder tonight of the meaning of Christmas through music, and we thank you for our young people who have participated in music tonight. Pray that you would bless now in our lesson. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So look at this first phrase, seeing you have purified your souls. Now this is a very interesting thought. I'll tell you why it's an interesting thought. Your flesh... No matter how much you purify it, it still will want to do the wrong thing. It's just guaranteed. Your flesh was around before you ever came to Christ. And your flesh, if you let it loose, it always runs back to the, the pig swallow. Uh, the pigs, not swallow, the pigs wallow. And you put the apostrophe in the wrong place. It always goes back to the mud. Your spirit, once you've trusted Christ, it always wants to do the right thing. Your spirit always agrees with the Spirit of God, and it never goes the wrong direction. And so here we have this instance of the flesh being the old man, the spirit being the new man, and the soul is the one that has to choose. The soul is who you really are. You were born with a soul headed toward death. We all were. The moment you trusted Christ, your soul was redeemed and adopted into the family of God. And now your soul has to remain pure so that it will make spirit choices, spiritual choices, instead of fleshly choices. And so here, here in this passage, it lays it out in such a way, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, and look at this, through the Spirit. So the Spirit is the means by which all of this happens. The Spirit is the way that you purify your soul. And uh, so we say in your notes, before the human soul can give up its own indulgences and desires, it has to be purified. Okay, before the human soul can give up its own indulgences and desires, it has to be purified. Now, God is not asking any of us to become monkish in our behavior. 
God is not asking us to, to wound ourselves or to uh, really beat ourselves up and, and uh, do things like that. What this is talking about is soul submission. There are things that every person, your soul, is refreshed by. And it's different for everybody. Some people find soul refreshment in music. Some people find soul refreshment in noise. That's what some music is. Um, just in my opinion. And, and then some people find soul refreshment in crowds. Some people find soul refreshment in silence. Some people find soul refreshment alone. So we all have different sources of soul refreshment. And the thing that refreshes your soul, your flesh would like to take that and abuse it to make it a sin. Have you ever noticed that? Now, my soul is occasionally refreshed by ice cream. Or my body, I don't know which one it is. You kind of think it's my soul. My soul feels good. When, but if I abuse that, it becomes an indulgence. And the things that are natural in our desires in the flesh can be abused if they're not kept pure. That's what this passage is trying to tell us. And so all of this happens by the Spirit. Now I want you to notice the ultimate attainment, if you will, of the Christian spirit or the Christian soul. Look at it again. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto, that's, this is a word that shows us what happens at the end, what's the highest attainment, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Unfeigned love of the brethren. That is the highest attainment of Christianity. That's the biggest one we can get. Now go to 2 Peter and I'll show you the kind of the stepladder that Peter creates. This has nothing to do with salvation. This is about the Christian experience after salvation. Look at this, 2 Peter 1 verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. So these are elements of the divine nature that we grow through. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And here they are, okay? So they start in verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. What is the one thing you need to be saved? Faith. Jesus has done all the rest. For by grace are you saved through faith. So faith, faith is the foundation. Okay? But you can add to that. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. That is the highest ideal of the Christian value system, charity. Paul said it this way, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. And he gave us that whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 to show us 
that faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity or love. And, and so when Peter's speaking of this, this, this is a big thought from him here in 1 Peter chapter 1 at the end of the chapter. Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love. This means love that you don't have to fake. That's what it's talking about. Love that you don't have to fake. Now, how many of you have a sibling? At least one. How many understand that sometimes it is difficult to love a sibling? Right? Now, I don't know why my sister's raising her hand. That's insane. It's totally wrong. Um, it's sometimes difficult to love a sibling. In fact, have you ever noticed that siblings, unless they're out in public, they usually just tell each other like it is? Like when I'm around my sons, and they're in an argument. They don't sometimes really even care if there are people around. They're just going to go at it. They're just going to, you know, have a word battle or sometimes even fisticuffs. Um, it, it's going to get to where it needs to get, right? Um, and my wife says to me sometimes, do you think when they get older that they're actually going to love each other? Yeah, they're brothers. That's how it works. Uh, when you're growing up, you always have these problems. But the highest ideal of the Christian experience is authentic, unfeigned love. Not for the people in the tribes in New Guinea. Not for the indigenous tribes in Brazil that you've never met that you give offerings toward. Unfeigned love of the brethren. Do you know what happens sometimes when Christians have an issue between them. The Bible calls it an, an offense. You know what they sometimes do? They just give up on trying the relationship. Brothers and sisters in the same church, Christian brothers and sisters, sometimes just give up. We're not even going to try anymore. Husbands and wives sometimes just give up on it. We're just not going to try anymore. And yet, it's the highest ideal of the Christian experience, and it can only be done if the soul... It's purified. It's the only way it works. So we say in your notes, authentic love for the brethren is an evidence of growing faith led by the Spirit of God. So, the highest ideal, unfeigned love of the brethren. Now look at his instruction. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Fervently, that's a unique word, isn't it? It's a word that's used several times in the New Testament. And if you think of the word fervently, it doesn't seem to mean that you do it just kind of in a token way. Fervently doesn't mean that you make a little bit of an attempt at it. Fervently means that you go above and beyond your own capacity to do it. That's what it means. If you said that someone fervently ran a race, what do you think that would mean? That they went until their body gave out. And then they tried to keep going again. 
Yeah, those are great human spirit stories when we see things like that happen. Fervently means that you made the greatest attempt you could make and then you went even a step further. And, and yet, we sometimes don't do that in our relationships. And so there's always a growth. And, and a, when we look at Second Peter, sometimes we think of it as, as steps where, okay, I've got faith, now I'm going to go up to diligence. And now I'm going to go up to godliness and all the different ones. And once I go up, I can never come back down. Do you know what you start every day with? The faith that was needed for salvation. That's it. That's what you start. You start with the promise of heaven, eternal life in Jesus Christ because of faith. But you have to make the conscious decision each day to climb the ladder of Christian ideals again. It's a daily decision. Sometimes it's an hourly decision. And the highest rung of that ladder is unfeigned love of the brethren. And so he says, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. There's a lot of really big words in there that help us to understand what he's saying. It's possible to love someone that you think you can get something out of. It's possible to love someone only so that you can use them for a time. And then when it doesn't work out, you say, oh, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. But this seems to indicate that we're supposed to do it out of a pure heart in the first place. And then we're supposed to do it fervently. Boy, that's a tough one. It means when we think that we should say, well, if they're not gonna, then I'm not gonna. When we think we should say that, it means we should say, well, if they're not gonna, I'm still gonna. That's what it means, fervently. I'm gonna go the extra mile in the brotherly love relationship. So this is a huge verse, verse 22. Here's how we sum it up in your notes. Leading an unfeigned pure life is not the path to salvation. Instead, it is the proof of salvation. Jesus said it, didn't he? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. John 13, 35. Jesus said, if you love one another, that shows everybody you're my child. John said it a different way in 1 John. He kind of backed up the words of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. But he then also said, he that hateth his brother is a murderer. Wow. He said, you know that no murderer has eternal life dwelling in him. But he gives this comparison contrast to show us the value of Christian love. And so we've got all these New Testament authors through the Holy Spirit that address this. Jesus addressed it. John addressed it. Peter addressed it. Paul addressed it. These were all people who lived on the earth. There's a historical record that says they were here. One of them rose from the grave. That's why we're here tonight. And so this instruction is big for us. Now, verse 23, 
goes back to an issue that had been brought up in verse 18. So let's go back to verse 18 and get our background. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So here verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now I need you to go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And we're just going to look at, some people would call this semantics, but I believe that Jesus has given us a good record here. Look at John, chapter 6. Verse number 63. Here's what Jesus says. It is the spirit that quickeneth. That means it is the spirit that makes alive. It is the spirit that can take something that has never lived and make it alive. It happened in Genesis 1. It happens every time someone's born again. It is the spirit that can take a dead soul and regenerate that soul and make it alive. It is the spirit that quickeneth. We should all underline the next four words. The flesh profiteth nothing. That would be a good thing to put on your mirror for a number of reasons. It will save you a lot of money in cosmetics, hair products, clothing, Crocs you probably would still need for comfort, but the flesh profiteth nothing. Okay, did you get that? The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So we see an attachment that Jesus just gave us between the spirit and the word of God. The words that Jesus spoke are spirit, and the spirit is what gives life. So now we go back, and I want you to see this in relation to 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 22 again. Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth, look at the next phrase, through the Spirit. So the Spirit's already involved here. Verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Okay, in your notes we say it this way, the incorruptible seed is the Spirit of God. Now some of you who cheat and fill in blanks, you already wrote the Word of God. The incorruptible seed is the Spirit of God given to us by the instrument of the Word of God. Okay, so the Spirit is what quickens us. Now we know faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's what convicts us. That's what brings us to the point where we know we need regeneration, but there still has to be a spirit birth that takes place. And uh, I'm going to show you that in just a second. So the Spirit quickens by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now the rest of this chapter is going to go into the abiding, enduring Word of God. 
Okay, we'll get to that in just a second. Let's go back, though, to John chapter 3, and let's see more of how Jesus explains this. You may remember in John chapter 3 that Nicodemus came by night, one of the Pharisees, see Jesus. And Jesus began to explain new birth to him. First of all, he gave an opening statement there in verse number 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus then he had a question. How can a man be born when he is old? Now, some of us would look at Nicodemus and say, Man, you just, you really, can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? Really, Nicodemus? But you got to picture where Nicodemus was. He didn't have a word of God, right? He didn't have the spirit of God. He didn't have hundreds and hundreds of years of theological record to help him understand. And when Jesus said, you have to be born again, Nicodemus said, I'm in, but what's, what, how does it happen? How can a man be born when he is old? What he's saying to Jesus is, haven't I already been born? I'm here. And so it's a natural question, isn't it? To say you've got to be born again. Well, how does that happen? So then Jesus laid it out for him. Verse 5. Now, there's no way really to confuse this verse and think that baptism saves you unless you deliberately want to confuse this verse. Because the context tells us that Jesus is answering a question about physical birth versus spiritual birth. That's what it's telling us, verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then Jesus explains that even more in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's water birth. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's spiritual birth. And then he sums it up. Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. So he said, Nicodemus, don't let it freak you out that I'm talking about you being born again. I'm not talking about you going and finding your mother and having some scientific experience that no one wants to think about. I'm talking about the fact that you were already born once of your mother, physically. And now you have to be born again of the Spirit of God. It has nothing to do with water baptism in this section. So Peter, when he refers to this in 1 Peter chapter 1, he is talking about this same new birth experience. He's talking about the way that we find redemption, the way that we are quickened, the way that we're made alive, it is called being born again. He deliberately used the term born again. You know, in our culture, there was a time where born again became a catchphrase. And it is really back late 60s, early 70s. Um, I think that uh, Lanny Wolf maybe wrote a song or Andre Crouch, Born Again, There's Really Been a Change in Me. And it was a big catchphrase, and athletes were saying it, and, 
And uh, popular people were saying, I'm born again. And yet, when they did a, a few forum research poll, or maybe it was Barna that did this a couple years ago, here's what they found. 91% of the people in the United States say they believe in God. But only 48% claim that they're born again. And so my natural question was, do you understand that there's a difference between believing in God and being born again? And for some people, they don't understand that. Some people, I've seen people say this, like they're smart, right? People who are religious, who claim to be Christians, who have high values, and they'll get on with Larry King or some other person, and they'll say something like this. Well, Larry, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born-again people. Like, do you even know what you just said? Because if you're a Christian, you are one of those born-again people. And if you are one of those born-again people, why would you not want anyone to know that you're one of those born-again people? Maybe because there's some weird born-again people? There's some peculiar people out there. We get to that in the next chapter. All right, so 1 Peter 1, 23, born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. So the incorruptible seed is the spirit by the word of God. That's the means or the instrument of bringing us the spirit. We say underneath, and you probably already got this, Jesus explained the new birth phenomenon to Nicodemus. Water birth of the flesh by the mother and spirit birth by the spirit. And then Peter goes into verse number 24 and he quotes something that's from Isaiah chapter 40. So let's go back there and see it. Isaiah chapter 40. In fact, Peter quotes a translation that had already been done in Latin of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. Isaiah chapter 40, here's what it says, verse number 6. And the voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? And here's what God wanted him to cry. All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Now back in 1 Peter 1, Peter quotes this passage, even though it's not verbatim, it's given to us this way, and this passage is just as much scripture as Isaiah 40 is scripture. It's just as God breathed. It's just as inspired here in 1 Peter chapter 1. So verse 24 back in 1 Peter. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And then he adds this last sentence. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So once again he affirms that the Word of God is the means by which the Spirit of God regenerates the believer. This is the Word by which the Gospel is preached unto you. So let's say several things as we close 
about these last two verses. In your notes, Peter goes on to quote Isaiah 40 in the next section. In contrast to flesh that soon withers, stands the word of God. The Bible says in the same chapter in Isaiah 40, even the youth shall faint. Right? Even the people have the most energy. Go look for them eight hours later, they'll probably be asleep somewhere. Right? Even the youth shall faint. The young man will fall down. It, we're just all made of grass. And even though God made human beings in an extraordinary way, just like the flower, the flower is beautiful. The human being is beautiful. Uh, everything about the way God made the systems of our bodies is unique and beautiful. But we don't endure forever. The flesh does not endure forever. In fact, we understand that weariness takes over every day. And it, if you don't sleep for a whole day, you may make it for another day, but then you're probably going to have to get to a point where you sleep the human body can only go so long without sleep, and some people say that they've gone for up to nine days at a time without sleep. But I could only describe that as human torture. In fact, that is how they torture people. Not the United States government, by the way, because our torture has been pretty nice little sleep deprivation, give you some insure for your stomach there before you go to bed in your jail cell with uh, the TV on the wall. Not really torture compared to a German POW camp or a Japanese POW camp during World War II. Just thought I'd throw that in for those of you who watch the news. But anyway, uh, the human body eventually wears out. You know, the Word of God never wears out. Never. You wake up at 3.30 in the morning, the Word of God's the same as it's ever been. It's just as good. It's just as profitable. It's just as healthy. You go 48 hours of sleep, the Word of God is still strong. And so that's one of the points that Peter's making. And the other point is this. The preservation of God's Word lasts forever. The inspiration of God's Word is without end. There's no ending to the power of the Word of God. It can go to the depths of the human soul. The Word of God, through the Spirit of God, has the power to reach the most depraved individuals. It's happened before. It's a miracle. But compared to us, there's really no comparison. Here's the next thing in your notes. This law that's given here, is not only true for evil men, but also for those who speak God's word. So I want you to notice what it says again. For all flesh is its grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. Now think about the human beings who first put that on parchment. Isaiah is he still around? Nope. Peter, who repeated in the New Testament, is he still around? Nope. People who have given prophecies 
This law is true for them, just like it is for evil men. So even those who speak God's word wither as the grass. We are human beings. There's no respect to persons on this. So the, the end of that line, their prophecies by far outlive them. Their prophecies, what they said in Isaiah 40 and 1 Peter 1, their prophecies by far outlive them. And we've seen already in this chapter, and this goes back up to verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. This is still in the same thought. That there were prophets who spoke God's word, and yet they were trying to find out the mysteries of God's word. They wanted to know more about who God was. They wanted to understand more about salvation. And so, in your notes, the word that brings spirit regeneration is what was preached to them. The word that brings spirit regeneration is the word that was preached unto them. That's that last sentence in verse 25. This is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. That verse extends all the way through the age of grace to us. Last one in your notes, the word that brings eternal life is what had been given to them. And that's also what's been given to us. So, unfeigned love. Four verses that, boy, they're just so powerful. I don't even think we covered the half of them tonight. We barely got into them. Um, they're, they're so deep and so remarkable what God has given us in that passage. Well, let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a closing word. After we dismiss, after a few minutes, if you'd like to support Melina, uh, stick around and yeah, let's just play a few songs. Yeah, I know you really enjoy it. And I, I love that our, we have young people who are learning instruments. Uh, if you can come Friday night, I believe you'll be blessed. Friday night at 7, young people, they do a terrific job. Choir, orchestra, and then a drama as well. Let's all, is it Thursday night? Thursday night, don't come Friday night, nobody will be here. Thursday night at 7 o'clock, is that right? Thursday night at 7 o'clock is the performance. All right, let's all go home and eat something that makes your brain more powerful where you remember what night of the week things are supposed to happen. Eggs, salmon, ice cream. That is medicine for the brain, isn't it? Right there, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We thank you that your word outlives everyone. And because it outlives everyone and because it's been here from eternity past, we can rely on it. We can stand here tonight and, and say by faith that we believe every word is true, that Jesus confirmed these truths, that the followers of Jesus who saw him as the risen Savior confirmed these truths. And I pray that we would live out these truths this week to the point where we have unfeigned love for the brethren, for those around us, for our husbands, our wives, our brothers, our sisters, and for those in the body of Christ. Guide us this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh.